Would you please stand with me, friends, as we set about to read from Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to the end of the chapter. We're in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to the end of the chapter. Diana, our sister, gave us a, uh, uh, gave me a, an article from the newspaper. Apparently my name was in it. Uh, this past Tuesday, I've been trying to talk to people in our city uh, government, uh, cautioning them in the light of Ezekiel 33, the watchman on the wall who sees danger coming. If he, doesn't, if he sees it and he doesn't warn people, the blood of other people falls upon him, taking that rather personal these days. And um, we're jumping back into Matthew 7 because this mindset of truth being such a subjective thing, and, and we see it in our culture all around us, and it's hurting us, and it's hurting the Lord's church uh, because of it as well. If you will listen to Matthew chapter 7, verses 15, I'll start in 13 and read to the end of the chapter. These are the words of our Lord. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. This is the Lord's word. Please be seated, friends. And let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Again, O oh Lord, we thank you for your word and we pray that your blessing will be upon it as it goes forward. Both, I pray for your blessing uh, for myself that I will handle your word accurately and faithfully. And I pray, Father, for these, your people, that they too will have ears to hear. And we pray that you would keep the evil one from attacking and from stealing away the seed of the gospel, the truth. We ask, Father, that you would give to us quiet hearts, hearts that are like the man delivered from the demons who would sit at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. We acknowledge, Father, that we are not sane except that you make us sane. And so we pray that great saneness 
would attribute or accompany rather these words today, great sobriety. And we ask that you would prepare us for the days at hand. And I humbly ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start by reading to us from Proverbs chapter 9. Again, remember this, that a proverb is not a um, promise. Rather, it sets forth a principle. So we read the Proverbs here, and we are cautioned. And again, it's how a citizen is supposed to live in the covenant community. This is what Solomon wrote. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, Come, eat of my food and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself, and if you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by, who are making their paths straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. There are two houses here that, the, the, um, that Solomon speaks about, the house of wisdom and the house of folly. And whose house will you go into? Will you go into wisdom's house, whose house your days will be multiplied and your years added and years added to your life, or will you go into the fool's house, the house where the dead are, whose guests are in the depths of Sheol? This is the question that is before us today, really, as we come to this passage of Scripture in Matthew 7, 24 and following. Will you be wise? Will you hear and act upon the word of God, or will you be foolish and not respond? So going back to the the conflicts in our town this week, we have many people who have decided one of two houses, and there's only two kinds of people in this world. Those who will fear the Lord and those who will not. And so you say to the one type of man, you say the sun rises in the east. And he goes, I don't agree. I don't agree. I don't agree that the sun sets in the west and rises in the east. I've determined that it rises in the south and that's my truth. And you say to them, are you mad? In your opinion, I am, but not with the truth that I come to you with. And this is what we have, people who are looking at reality, and we're saying to them, look what's happening to the children. You're carving them up. 
They come into their 20s and they say, why did you let me carve my body up? They bring lawsuits to hospitals and say, I was 13. Why didn't somebody holler at me and tell me not to do it? There's a house of fools and there's the house of wisdom. Will you be wise and will you hear and act upon the word of the Lord? Or will you be foolish and not respond to the word of the Lord? Friends, all we can do is say, this is truth. This is it. This is all we can say to anyone. This is truth. Walk in the way of truth and you won't be sad about it. But what do we find in our culture? You're telling me truth. So you say, but I say you're a hater. I think you're a supremacist. I actually think you hate children. This was said to me last night. You hate children because all you're doing is trying to make them feel guilty. Not at all the goal. In this passage of scripture, Jesus is seeing out the Sermon on the Mount. And here he does not allow his hearers to remain in a state of neutrality or rest easy in indifference. And I think this might be a problem in the Lord's church today, that of neutrality, that of indifference to the Lord's word. We think to ourselves, if we are not hostile towards the word, um, that we shall do good. But Jesus is very plain here that he is not interested in the church being neutral, that of these people who have gathered themselves around him. He doesn't want them to say, that was a really good sermon. He wants them to be hearers and doers of the word. And much of the, the Lord's church today in this country is neutral when it, when it comes to the Lord's word. We're neutral. We might have a slight opinion about something and we'll say, well, I'm kind of like, uh, I kind of agree with the Bible, sort of. Either it's right or it's wrong. If the word of God is true, you're sitting here, then I'm assuming you're sitting here because you believe the word of God is authoritative and it's true. If you don't believe the word of God is authoritative and true, why would you waste your time sitting in here listening to me? It's really very black and white, don't you think? It is. It's black and white. Either Jesus Christ is king, his word has come to us, he means what he says, and we take him at face value, or we don't. But Jesus doesn't allow us to sit in the place of neutrality and say, eh, I like that, but I don't like it that much enough to live by it. You understand, this is the problem with our nation, and this is the problem with the church. Either we believe these things or we don't. Are you ready to go and die for them? Are you? You men, you ready to die for them? Because a day of sifting is coming when you can't sit in neutrality any longer. It's coming. The worst things you can do is listen to the word of God and remain indifferent. 
Jesus here has exhorted us to be more than hearers, but exhorts us to be doers of his word as well. And it is in this way that judgment will be withstood. Again, he says, be a hearer and a doer of the word. It was a tremendous sermon. Again, listen to what they said after he's preached uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 that are recorded for us here. It says, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. This word, therefore, has linked all uh, that has gone before to what now follows. And Jesus Christ will not allow us to remain in indifference. We must be careful, friends, not to allow ourselves to hear the word of the Lord and to go away from it being the same as when we came into this sanctuary this morning. This happened in the Old Testament days. In the days of Joash, we read this. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. Though they testified against them, they would not listen. They would not listen. And in the days of Jehoiada, we are told this, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. This is a stinging indictment against any people. Preaching is not for the purpose of entertainment Preaching is meant for life. Do you hear me? Preaching is not for entertainment. It is meant for life. Very important point. Let us not be those who approach the Lord indifferently and haphazardly. We don't want to be those who merely hear with dead ears. He tells them to hear, first of all. Hearing is good, and I don't wish to belittle it in any way. At least it's a start. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. Preachers and teachers are sent to speak the truth of God to open up the words of life. Listen to what our larger catechism says. And this is a challenge to us all, I understand. And I I, I can appreciate the fact that many of you are tired, you work hard, you're stuck with medications that you have to be on, and they make you tired. I understand that. And I would say, even if you come to the church and you sit there and you fall asleep, there's no judgment from me. I've been one who has fallen asleep plenty of times, and I would probably fall asleep if I wasn't standing up here and you weren't all looking at me. (laughs) I understand. It's a struggle. But it's a struggle you must enter into. Listen to what our larger catechism says. And it is the duty of those who hear it, that is to hear the word preached, attend it with diligence, preparation, prayer, examine what they hear by the scriptures, receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind. As it is the word of God, meditate on it, talk about it, hide it in your heart, bring forth the fruit of it in your life. Is this what you do with the word of God? Or do you just go home? And I realize this goes on too. I grew up seeing some of this go on in the car, our Chrysler station wagon. And on the way home from church, hearing how the sermon was pulled apart. That's not a good thing. Either it's true or it's not true. If it's not true, be a good Berean and come up and tell me you've missed the mark of this passage of scripture. I'll submit. If it is true, you need to listen to it and you need to amend your life. That's how this thing works. 
This is what the Lord says. Again, Jesus does not want us to remain indifferent to the word. He speaks of all of his words here. What has he said in this Sermon on the Mount? Understand that Jesus at this point in his ministry uh, was quite popular. We are told in Matthew 4.25 that large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And then in chapter 5, verse 2, we are told that he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. All of the blessed parts that Jesus spoke about, culminating in chapter and verses 11 and 12, about those who would suffer persecution because of Jesus Christ. The, the apostle, as he writes this, as Matthew has written and recorded this book, he is pointing out that Jesus' words are with power, they are with authority, and Jesus is winnowing out all of the popularity. Oh, Jesus is the greatest fad. Let's follow Jesus. Will you follow me? Will you hear my words? Will you do them as well? Or will I just be a fad? Yeah, and I think that's our culture. We want a movie star. We want a rock star. We want somebody we can be proud of. We're not actually listening to Jesus. And we're not listening to his words. We're not giving allegiance to Jesus Christ. But we look to people. Jesus here sets the standard, my friends, of righteousness, right? Back where it belongs, applying the law of God to the heart, not abolishing, but fulfilling, not belittling, but establishing. And he establishes the law as the standard we should live by as citizens of his kingdom. Again, not as a prescription for salvation, but as a description, a description of one who has salvation. In this sermon, he addresses personal relationships and purity and marriage and vows and forgiveness and loving our enemies. He deals with the, how we are to give to the poor in secret and how we are to pray and where our treasures are to be and in what our trust is placed. How we are to judge. All of these things being outward expressions of inward reality. And he concludes with the words that we read this morning with the narrow gate which is small and leads to life. And he addresses the good tree and its good fruit. And he addresses very sternly, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is the will of God? That you would believe upon his Son and that you would turn from your sins and that you would do more than just be mere scribes and Pharisees, but that your hearts would be broken over your sin, and that you would give all of your life, all of your thoughts, all of your strength to Jesus Christ. That's what the Christian is called to, friends. And you won't fit into the world when you do this. We sometimes want to keep friends on both sides of the fence. The only friend you need is Jesus Christ. And your allegiance ought not to be to those in the world, walking in the world, living for the world. Don't expect to keep peace with them. They're not interested in your God. They're not interested in Jesus Christ. That's why we must evangelize them. That's why we tell them who he is and what he has done for people just like them, like us.
We've heard all of these things. And now, my friends, what will you do with it? What do you do with the sermons, the words of this Sermon on the Mount? Will you sit on it? Will you string these truths together like pearls of wisdom to be flashed at the next social gathering? Offer to play a game of Bible trivia and see what you can win and how, who you can impress. Will you place pages of notes in binders so that you can feel like you've accomplished something that you haven't wasted your time, that you have something to show for all that you've done? Sadly, I believe many do this. They did this even in Jesus' day. Listen to Luke 12, 34. Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her, how often I, I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. You didn't want to listen to the words of the prophets. Oh, no, no, you under, misunderstand Jesus. We love the prophets. That's why we go and paint their tombs you love the prophets you would have obeyed the prophets painting the outside of this tomb what does that do for a, a dead prophet he's in glory he doesn't care about those bones you do that to assuage your guilt you don't listen to the word you don't listen to the word my friends we must not be only hearers as good as hearing is, that is not the end of preaching, but the doing of the things preached, the yielding to them, the responding to them, that is the end of preaching. James says this, Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. This man hears and acts, literally, he hears and does what the Lord's word said. So he is not simply hearing, but he is doing. He is, he is blessed Right, Being blessed, uh, poor in spirit, he is bankrupt spiritually. Having received mercy, he is merciful. He is not loosely associating with Jesus. Listen to this. But he is so faithful a follower and witness of Jesus Christ that he is actually persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ. When we preached through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 some years ago. This really stuck out to me. How will you know if somebody is truly a Christian? They'll suffer for Jesus Christ. That's, that's what the Muslims are going through. Those Muslims who convert to Jesus Christ, they are baptized and they have a death threat. They have a death warrant stuck on their backs. Why? Because I want to identify with Jesus Christ in baptism and I'm going to be his follower and now he can kiss his life goodbye or the lives of his children or of his family. But we don't suffer for Jesus Christ. And maybe it's because, maybe it's because we're all just loosely associated with Jesus Christ. Do you suffer for Jesus? This is what it means to be a doer. Or as Peter would, would caution us, don't suffer as a thief, a murderer, a robber, 
Don't suffer for those things. But if you're going to suffer, suffer because of Jesus Christ. This is a man, a woman, who does not light uh, a candle and then put it under a basket. Rather, he is like a city on a hill. Their righteousness goes beyond that of the scribes and Pharisees, beyond rote performance and traditions. But they desire, like our Lord, truth in the innermost parts, in the innermost place. The psalmist writes in Psalm 112.1, Praise the Lord, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands. You deal with your brother whom you've offended. You take precautions morally so that you don't cause yourself and others to stumble. You pursue faithfulness and, and love in your marriage. You mean what you say. You say what you mean. No empty words and useless vows. You love your enemies. You turn the other cheek. You go the extra mile. This and more is what Jesus is talking about. You are not simply a hearer of sermons. You're not just a church attender, a note taker, and a fact gatherer, a scribe, or a Pharisee who checks boxes. You are an implementer, a doer of what he has said. You listen, you think, you amend, you change, you repent. Your life never looks the same as you are constantly changing, always reforming, always being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And how is this even possible? It seems like such a tall order. Where does it begin? It begins, friends, with what we read this morning in John 14, or 15, rather, with this mystical union. A man, a woman must be born again. For this kind of discipleship is not possible apart from the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And it's more than just... uh, a job list, a job description. But it is a description of the fruit of a person who was indwelt by the Spirit of God. Thus, why Jesus is talking to these crowds and all of these people are following and saying, yes, I'm one of Jesus's. I'm one of Jesus's. Oh, yes, I'm with him too. This is great. He healed my aunt. He healed my sister. Are you really my follower? Would you really hear my words, then you must be doers of them as well. Those who hear and do are likened by our Lord to a wise man. You will be wise if you will hear and do the words of the Lord Jesus, if you will fear and believe upon Jesus Christ. That's where life begins. Maybe Maybe a vast majority of the Lord's church in this country isn't converted at all. Maybe we've hooked them with our entertainment. Maybe we've hooked them with our programs. Maybe that's why they come. And maybe it's never been about Jesus Christ to begin with. Jesus says, you hear my words and you do my words, you will be a wise man. You may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. My friends, the person who hears the scriptures and responds accordingly says, says Jesus, 
is like a wise man, a builder who responded to the message of truth, who planned accordingly and was not sorry in the day of testing and trial. He uses this illustration to make a very serious point to his listeners. In Palestine, one commentator said, uh, storms are infrequent but can be quite violent. Although the houses of the foolish and the wise may for a long time appear equally secure when the storm comes, the destruction of the foolish, um, the foolish one's house is one of totality. So here's this wise man, and he builds his house on the rock, that is, upon Jesus Christ and upon his word. As you know, the foundation is the most crucial part of any house. The foundation is, is that upon which everything else sets. If the foundation goes bad, the house is unlivable. Destruction is imminent. And here, this man, he's built his house on a rock. He digs down. He removes all the loose dirt, builds on the rock. He removes the fluff, the worldly philosophies, the, the, the conventional wisdoms, such as, like, love is love. It's love. This is good. This is the kind of thing that we should be promoting. This is, again, this is what I hear last night. Tell me this. What Christian pastor in his right mind is going to say love is not important? I'm not going to say that because I don't believe that's true. But how they define love and how we define love biblically are two very different things. Conventional wisdom says well, we don't have to agree on everything. You don't have to judge me. That's your opinion. No, 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 it has nothing to do with my opinion. Nothing at all to do with my opinion. I don't determine the rules. I'm not the judge. I can't, I can't just take the Bible and, and, and throw it away. Nor can you. Either it means what it says or it doesn't mean what it says. What do I do with these things? Conventional wisdom says, oh, just let a person have his way. Don't challenge him. Don't, and hear me. Don't challenge him with your opinion. Challenge him with the truth of Scripture. doesn't matter what I think. Frankly, it, doesn't, it does not matter what I think. You want to practice immorality in the house next to me? Shut your curtains. I don't want to see it. But you are going to answer to the Lord. I have to say that. And if I don't say that, I'm not helping you and I'm not loving you. This man removes, the wise man removes all of these things, all of the world's wisdom, all of the conventional wisdom and, and thoughts out there, and he applies everything to the word of God. And he judges everything by the word of God. What does the Bible say about this. What does it say about yoga and Christians? What does it say about the Enneagram? What does it say about homosexuals or, or, or men cross-dressing or women mutilating their bodies? What does it say about these things? Can I say anything about it? Of course I can say things about it. Why? Because the scriptures address these things, friends. And we have to. We have to. He digs down, and he's built upon the rock. 
And he does so because he knows this calm, dry season will not last. He doesn't simply consider the day of peace, but he knows that trouble and tribulation is bound to come. And it does. Hardships come in in our lives. Floods come, winds blow, and they slam against this house. And guess what happens? It doesn't fall. It's not shaken. It's not moved from its foundation. That's what happens when you listen to the word of God. When you will stop obeying your feelings and your experiences and you will start standing on what does the objective word of God, the objective truth of the Bible, what does it actually say? And am I going to listen to this in spite of the 98% who are telling me otherwise? I am going to stand on this word, period. And you must too. If you don't, if you don't, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen right now. They're going to come knocking on your door and they're going to say, Mr. Wilson, we've heard and we've been monitoring your phone and we've heard conversations that you've had and we've decided that your opinion is no longer in the mainline opinion. You either recant these things or you're going to jail. And what does our brother do? Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Exactly, buddy. That's what we say. Thus saith the Lord. And we don't move from that. But I'll tell you, if his house isn't built on thus saith the Lord, buddy goes, gosh, I didn't know I was going to get in trouble like this. I've changed my mind. I think you're all right. Yeah, I shouldn't have said those things. I was wrong. Uh, Two plus two is five. You see, this is what happens. Trials come. You're not built upon the word and experience and emotions and feelings and all these things begin to shape reality like I saw in full form last night. And it's not reality. I'm still looking at the sun as though it rises in the east. And they're saying to me, the sun rises in the south. What's wrong with you, hater? That's where we are. That's why this passage of scripture is so important. Hardships and trials and persecutions and judgment of the final day. And this man and this woman whose house is built upon the rock, the word of God, remains unshaken and unmoved. In contrast, Jesus uh, gives the fool. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, does not act on them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. The houses are built in the same dry valley and the fool, he thinks that every day will be just like the next. 
Peter warned of this in 2 Peter 3, where he says, Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. He sees only sunshine. Nothing bad is ever going to ever happen to me. Eat, drink, and be merry. Don't get so, uh, so up, up, uptight about these things. He thinks that the other guy who's clearing away the sand and the debris in order to stick his pillars down under the house and on a rock, he thinks he's just way too serious, way too uptight. What is your problem? Lighten up! And he builds his house, presumably of the same material, right on top of the ground, the sandy soil, and I saved money doing it my way. But the sky grew dark, and the rains came, and the waters rose, the rivers swelled, the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it falls. His life falls apart. Everything falls apart, and Jesus says, and great was its fall. Are you wise or are you foolish? There's only these two kinds of people. My friends, do you build your lives, your goals, your ambitions, one block at a time on the rock of Jesus Christ that is unmoving, unyielding? Or do you build your life on the shifting sand of human opinion, which changes faster than you and I can change our socks? We live in this world, and we are all prone to the same trials and temptations and struggles, the same hardships Rain, rivers, and wind, they hit us, and there's no way we can avoid these things. You can't avoid them. We live in a fallen world. Christians get cancer just like non-Christians get cancer. Christians have to pay their taxes just like the non-Christian has to pay his taxes. Christians have children that rebel just like non-Christians have children who rebel. Is your house built upon a rock or is your house built upon sand? And how will you determine? It is not until those times of hardship and how you weather them that it is shown whether you have been wise or foolish. John Calvin said this, True piety is not fully distinguished from its counterpart until it comes to the trial. I believe it was Moody who said, you never know what a man is until, uh, until you see him in his darkest moments. Then you see the character of a man. And those trials reveal these things. How do you handle and how will you handle hardships with your children, your bills, your temptations, with families and, and problems with others? How will you handle persecutions? Christians are suffering right now for the sake of Jesus Christ. And you know what's funny? Is that they're standing firm. And why? Because their lives are built upon Jesus Christ. And that's the only way that they can stand. Friends, trials are coming. And what is your life built upon? Right now, we're enjoying still... And these remaining hours of light. 
we have a fair amount of comfort still. Do you spend time in the, in the Lord's word? Are you digging deep? Are you bringing your lives into conformity with the word of God? Or do you just live by popular opinion? Back when I was a 17-year-old, there was a magazine called Campus Life. And it was kind of the hip, cool Christian magazine. And all the kids were reading Campus Life. And they would read their editorials and their things like this. And you know, it's fairly entertaining and could be fairly encouraging. Best thing I was ever told as a new Christian. Read your Bible and pray every day. Get to know the Lord who saved you. And start looking at your life through the word of God, through the grid of scripture, and see where it's out of line. And where it's out of line with what our Lord says, where our attitudes, our behaviors, our our emotions, where they are out of line with the word of God, you bring your life into conformity with what the Lord says. Passage of scripture in Genesis 4. This has also been on my mind quite a bit um, because we, we are accused in the church of being haters. Haters of the LGBTQ community. And I spoke about this I don't know, a year ago. And the LGBTQ community was saying, you know, you just, all of you Christians, church people, you you just make us all feel bad. And so you need to change your ways. You need to amend your ways so that we stop feeling bad. And then I went, it dawned on me one day as I'm reading through Genesis 4, look, Cain was sullen. Cain was down in the mouth. He was very upset. And it was all Abel's fault, wasn't it? Not. Do you remember? Abel offered a sacrifice that was pleasing to the Lord. Cain was offering sacrifices that were not pleasing to the Lord. And the Lord said to Cain, if you do what's right, there's going to be no problem. But who did Cain kill? He killed Abel. Abel wasn't the source of his problems. What was the source of Cain's problem? It was God. Because Cain was trying to live in rebellion against God. And when you live in rebellion against God, friends, I don't care how gay you say you are, you are not happy. Because no man who rebels against the Lord is ever going to be happy. I can't help how my LGBTQ neighbors feel. I have an obligation to love them in the Lord, to to love and hold out the love of Christ to them, to offer forgiveness, to to give uh, warning, caution. But I can't help how they feel. Their anger is with the Lord. And all I can tell you is this. A wise man builds his life on the word of God. And he does what the Lord tells him to do. And that's where life is found in Jesus Christ. And if you choose to go against what the Lord says, your house will fall in trial and you will not stand in judgment. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and pray your mercies be upon us and that you will forgive us for how we have bought in so many ways into the lie of this culture 
We pray that you would forgive us and that you would bring us back to the word of Christ, to this solid rock. And we pray, Father, that you would grant to us a desire and a willingness and that you would waken us from our lethargy. We ask that you give us wisdom for the days in which we live, as I have prayed already, and I ask again, praying, Father, that we would not hate our neighbors, though we are repulsed by the things they do now in public and not just in secret. We ask, Father, that you would embolden us and help us in love to speak the truth kindly and gently, but in no uncertain terms. And we pray for your church that we would repent of our buying into the mindsets of this world and for thinking, Lord, that men can offer up that which is a replacement for what you have revealed in your word. I do humbly ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.